Okay, well, I guess we're doing that again. Hello and welcome to the Indie Dev Life podcast, a show about the ins and outs of independent software development. My name is Brian, and I am an independent developer. So today, before we get started, I have two quick pieces of news. The first is that you can now pre-order the paperback version of my book, Going Indie, A Complete Guide to Becoming an Independent Software Developer, on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble and on IndieBound using your local bookstore. If you're interested in getting a pre-order copy, please do so as soon as possible. Uh, For reasons I've mentioned before, pre-orders help a lot more than after launch day sales. So if you are interested in the book, please consider pre-ordering it. And if you want an ebook version, you can get that on Apple Books, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble, as well as a few other places. Additionally, if you have any questions about the book or you want to discuss some of the topics in it, uh, I am taking questions on Goodreads. You can search for the book Going Indie on Goodreads, and there should be a questions asking section, and I will be answering questions there. For my second bit of news, I want to say that the app that I originally announced but did not name on this podcast a few weeks ago, is now out in public beta. The app is called Huel. It is a virtual tour guide of the interesting things around you. Huel uses Wikipedia and Wikidata to show you interesting things around you as you're out in the world, whether you're on a walk or driving around town or on a trip. With Huel, you can find out the history and context of different things around you. You can recommend them to other Huel users, and you can earn achievements for uh, visiting different locations. You can join the public beta at huelapp.com or using the link in the show notes. If you like the app, please consider recommending it to others. The app will be in public beta for a little while, and then it will go onto the App Store once all the feedback is addressed. And if you find any bugs, please report them. I'll be looking for any feedback or any suggestions for the app. There is a roadmap that is coming. There are a bunch of features that I want to still add to the application, but I figured I would get it into everybody's hands as soon as possible with the version that's currently out. I've wanted to build an app like Huel for a long time. A friend of mine a few years ago, back at another job, uh, once approached me about an app similar to Huel, and uh, I've wanted to build it ever since then. Then when I went to Japan on a trip with some friends a few years back, um, I thought about how awesome it would be to you know, be walking around a city I'm unfamiliar with uh, and have kind of the history and context of things explained to me. Uh, and that's kind of what Huel is. As you're walking around, you can listen to a narrated tour of what's interesting around you. You can be notified when lots of interesting things are around, like, for example, if you visit um, a significant park or a set of museums or anything like that. And you can just better get to know the area you live in. So if you're using Huel uh, in your hometown, there might be lots of things that you didn't know were there or didn't know the context of. Uh, Just down the street from me is a historic district that I didn't actually know was there. So using Huel, you can discover all kinds of new things, whether you're on a trip, which in these times you probably aren't, but whether you're just out on a drive or out for a walk as well. Give it a try and let me know what you think. For our main topic today, I wanted to talk about uh, unintended or unexpected maintenance. Uh, One of the downsides of being an independent developer or an independent business owner of any kind, is that all the support and all the uh, critical problems or the sudden problems are yours to deal with. So at a large company, you'll have a sysadmin who's always on call, who can, you know, kick servers if they fall over or can reboot things or can do migrations in the middle of the night. But as an independent developer, that is all you. Uh, This topic is a little less relevant for things like iOS apps with no server backend because there isn't a lot of maintenance you can do uh, suddenly. But most apps and services these days have some sort of web component or server component. And so this pretty much falls into that category. I wanted to talk about this a little bit because actually I had this happen over the weekend. Some unexpected maintenance came up with Pine.blog over the weekend and I was in the middle of reading the news and then all of a sudden I was getting alerts that something needed to be done soon. And so that's what I spent the rest of that day doing. 
a lot of people will find that one of the biggest things that dissuades them from building or hosting production software is the maintenance and the crisis parts of it. The uh, the fact that basically you're always on call. Uh, there's no time when you can really take a vacation or take a break without some sort of responsibility on you to fix things. Um, so I remember like uh, last year when I went with a couple friends up to some local mountains uh, for a bit of skiing and snowboarding, I brought my laptop uh, on the trip. Not, not on the slopes, obviously, but on the trip so that, you know, if something happened, I could fix whatever went wrong. Uh, when I went on uh, a vacation uh, last year, I was going to be without internet for a significant portion of the time. And so I actually needed to teach and train a friend of mine uh, how to reboot some of my servers if something happened. Uh, luckily, nothing did, and usually nothing does. But, you know, you always have to be planning for that, because the worst thing would be if, if you go on a, on a vacation to the desert or something, or you're asleep, or something happens to you, and the servers go down, then your customers are angry and everybody's kind of frustrated. Usually it's not that big of a deal. You can just turn something back on or, or fix it, but you need to be able to be notified. You need to know that it's gone down and you need to be able to fix it or have someone else who's able to fix it. And then there's always that unexpected side. There's a lot of times when you can plan to do maintenance, like, oh, I need to upgrade this thing. So, you know, in two weeks, I'm going to take everything down for 20 minutes and fix it. But then there's also unexpected things. I use Linode for my hosting and they're really great. But just like all hosting providers, occasionally they need to do physical hardware upgrades to their servers. And if they need to do an upgrade on a server that... I'm using, then they need to reboot my server. And uh, they'll send you a notice. Sometimes they'll give you, you know, a month's notice that like, oh, this is going to happen on this date at this time. But other times it's sudden and they don't because they aren't able to give you advanced enough notice. Or sometimes it'll be, you know, like 10 minutes notice. Like this thing is happening now. We are fixing it. And you pretty much have to be able to respond as soon as possible to those things that hopefully you've set up your system to where if the server's rebooted, it can just come back up and keep working. But other times maybe there's something you have to manually kick or, or the ever looming threat of running out of disk space or, you know, too many users are signing up and overloading the site or, you know, whatever else happens randomly that you have to then address. Personally, I do get stressed uh, doing these kind of upgrades, especially things that are revolving around the data of the application um, because, you know, a lot of times those things aren't reversible and can cause permanent loss, data loss. But from my experience, it's not actually that stressful to have systems in production like this because the number of times every year that you have to touch anything, I can usually count on one hand that take less than 10 minutes each to fix. Occasionally, sometimes things happen. Um, over the weekend, Pindablog was down for a little while uh, because of this unexpected maintenance problem. But most times, it's it's su something super simple or something routine that can be easily addressed and isn't really a, a stressful occurrence. So if you are worried about maintaining production software or being always on call, the way you build your software and how stable it is really will affect how much work you actually have to do to maintain it. Usually it's not that big of a deal. That said, regardless of whether you are able to plan ahead for the maintenance, like if you know about it a week or month in advance, or if you uh, can't plan for it because it happens all of a sudden, the process for dealing with these things is pretty much the same in my opinion. If you can, alert people on whatever social media platforms you can to, to let them know things are happening. Have some error pages that direct people to a status page or some sort of message explaining what's going on and have a checklist for what you need to do. And if something's not on the checklist and you discover you need to do it, add it to the checklist. And then every time you need to do this process again, or every time you have another uh, outage you need to deal with, you have a checklist for how to deal with that problem. Uh, checklists are great, uh, and we could all use more of them in our lives to, to keep things planned for and, and reliable. Checklists also can heavily reduce the stress of dealing with something because you don't have to keep the process in your head 
head. You can note down what you need to do right now and what you need to do five steps from now. And you can focus on only doing the thing you need to do right now and not worrying about how that affects the next thing or what is next or what's after that. Let the checklist offload as much information as possible and just focus on doing the thing you need to do. When I used to work in medical research, there was a, a joke that I once heard among a bunch of doctors there that one of the best things that medicine ever learned was from the military, and that was checklists. The reason why a lot of people will say that the military is fairly effective is because they have checklists for everything. They're very organized. The FAA requires the same of pilots, actually. Uh, most pilots have checklists of what they need to do before they take off and when they're landing, and everything is governed by checklists. Doctors use checklists to make sure that they're performing the right surgery on the right patient with the right tools, since they can't ask you once you're unconscious for surgery, uh, they need to know beforehand what surgeries to do on what people, and checklists make sure that things do not get out of order. Checklists can also help developers and sysadmins. Checklists are great. If there's one thing you should learn, is use more checklists. That said, especially with unplanned maintenance, one of the biggest stressors, especially for me, is doing anything with the data, like I said. Uh, I really find dealing with database migrations or archival or backup and restore processes to be palm sweat-inducing, headache-causing, stressful. And checklists can do a lot to mitigate that, but at the end of the day, when you hit enter on one command, you know, sometimes there's no going back. That said, the way you can mitigate that problem, especially with data, is backups. Backups, backups, backups. Over the weekend, for example, I needed to do a full vacuum of one of my tables, and then I needed to do some data cleanup. And one of the things that I, I did is that I, I wouldn't proceed with I wouldn't proceed with the process until I had two independent and different backups. That is, backups of the data in two different ways. And I tested that both of those backups worked before doing the actual destructive process I needed to do, just to ensure that if anything went wrong, I had a full copy. And then I had a second full copy if that process went wrong. Podcaster and YouTuber CGP Grey has this great line that one backup is no backups and two backups is one backup, basically saying that if your backup doesn't have a backup, then do you really have one? Because if something could go wrong with the main system, then something could also go wrong with the backup. I follow the same thing with my servers and with my laptop. My laptop is backed up in two places, one local and one remote, for exactly the same reason. Those backups can really help you in these stressful situations because if you find that you're worried about accidentally deleting a thing, uh, if you realize that, oh, oh, at any point I can restore back to a known point, I can go back to some stable state, then the stress of doing something wrong uh, is a lot lower. And crucially, when the stress is lower, you're less likely to mess up. I think that most times the thing people are most afraid of when it comes to doing you know, sysadmin stuff or maintenance stuff or backup stuff it's they're afraid of messing up some process, even if you could go back. And the chances of you messing up are, they, it depends on a lot of things, but it, it really does depend on your own stress level. If you are incredibly stressed about the thing you are doing, you are very likely to mess it up. And so I find if I am in the middle of this process and I feel really stressed or really afraid of what I'm about to do for whatever reason, I will get up and take a couple minutes, like a break, go get some water, take a stretch, maybe go around the block really quick, calm myself down, because that stress is actively hurting your ability to do the maintenance. And crucially, your system being down, if it's going to be down for 20 minutes, being down for 22 minutes while you collect yourself is not a big deal. The extra two minutes of getting some water and stretching is not going to hurt your software in any meaningful way. And it could prevent you from making a terrible mistake. A lot of times people won't take breaks um, because they want to get the site back up as quickly as possible. And, and that attitude is, is great, but it can also, like, like I said, cause more harm than good. If you're running independent software by yourself, there's no expectation that your service be up with the same quality of uptime as something like Facebook. We often want our software to be up that much. We often believe that it should be, and we try, and that's good. We should try. You want things like, you know, low downtime or zero downtime deploys or things like that if you can. If you can't, it's not that big of a deal, and if you're down for 
20 minutes once a quarter, it's not that big of a deal. And I'd rather see my site down 25 minutes uh, while I take a break and stretch and give myself some space to do it properly than down for 10 hours while I screw something up and then have to fix it. The expectation of your users, to be a little bit frank, should also be, you know, this service is free or this service is a dollar or this service is run by one person. I don't have the same expectation that I do of Facebook. Now, that's not always true because users don't often know who's running the software or when they have expectations of, you know, uh, that all software is run by giant companies. But frankly, that just isn't true. And while you can strive for those things, and it's good to strive for those things, those that, that low downtime, high uptime kind of stuff, uh, kind of metrics, it's not realistic to always hold yourself to those. You can strive for them, but don't don't be too hard on yourself if you can't make them. All in all, though, the prospect of maintaining your own software and doing these migrations and these backups and this maintenance, whether expected or unexpected, is part and parcel of being an independent developer. If you make software on the web and you host it in a production state for any period of time, you are going to have to do these things. And it's just important that you be comfortable doing it, that you have a process for doing it, that that process has been tested, uh, and that you know what to do when it goes wrong or when it's done and you're confident that the, the system still works afterward. Part of that is testing your system and your processes. It's really good, like I said before, to if you have a checklist, to go through that checklist and add things to it as you go to make sure that your checklists and your processes are always kind of improving, that you're not leaving anything out. But it's also really important that you test as much as you can beforehand, before you do anything crazy. There are lots of stories of companies backing up their data or assuming they've backed up their data and then needing to do a restore on some critical component. And that restore doesn't work because it turns out they never actually had backups because they never tested. Them. Uh, this has happened to a lot of companies and it sucks. Um, it's terrible and it's it's really unfortunate. And so the only way to avoid that is to test your backups. I talk about this a little bit in Going Indie. But the way Adventurous Codex actually gets around this is using a tip from Marco Arment, where every night, as most people do, you make a backup of your system. And then if you're going to do any reporting, like any run any reports on new users or, or metrics or other things like that, run those on the backup. That way, if you ever stop getting reports or the reports are out of date, you know that your backups no longer work. Because if you're always running your reports on your latest backup, then you're using a human process of knowing what your metrics are to test the fact that your backup actually works. Similarly, lots of people make backups, uh, but they never test that they can actually restore them. There's lots of places, like I said, that will make backups of their software for years. And then when they actually go to restore it, they realize they've been backing up garbage for 10 years and their ba their backups are useless, which is also kind of what that restore process allows you to do. So for Adventurers Codex, uh, we have a reporting system that has its own database. And every night after the backup is made, the reporting database is is flushed out and the, that backup is is dumped into it, which means that if the reports are ever out of date, like I said, we know that the, the backup software doesn't work anymore. For Pine.blog, 99s, d20.photos, the process is a little more ad hoc. I, I don't have the same reporting system, mostly because it's not as big of an application, but I still do routine checks of my backups. I use them in testing, I use them in development, I have multiple backups in multiple places for each thing, just to make sure that I know that the backups can actually work and they can actually be restored from. So that if something does happen, uh, I already know that everything's fine. I already have the data that I need, I just need to go through the checklist of how to fix it. And if you can, automate as much of that checklist as possible, because there's nothing worse than skipping commands because you forgot one, or typing the wrong command line argument or whatever. And that's really impossible to do if you've already scripted it and you use the same restore script for everything. So automate what you can uh, when you're doing those kind of backups. That also really helps with taking the load off cognitively when you're doing any sort of maintenance or restores is knowing, oh, I just run this script and it just kind of works.
In high school, I worked at a local TV station where it was my job to operate this very arcane graphics computer to effectively keep track of stats and scores of things during sports games, like local sports games. And I didn't really know how to use the system at all. Um, it, it was a very old, arcane kind of computer back when I knew basically nothing about computers. And uh, the lady who set it up for me, she had been running these kind of machines for, for decades. And she had programmed a bunch of hotkeys uh, to make my job easier. And during the process of explaining everything to me, she pointed out one particular hotkey, which had a sticker above it that said, oh shit. And she said to me, if something happens and I'm not here and you've screwed it up accidentally and you've screwed up the whole system, no matter what you did, hit this key. It will reset everything to the way it's supposed to be. And you can go back to doing what you're doing. And I think that that moment was really impactful for me because to this day, I have scripts for all of my servers that can restore things to a known state. You know, you, you can always go, I can always go back to, okay, it might not be running, but everything is back the way I expected to be, or the backups are back where I want them to be, or the system is reorganized the way I expect it to be. <laughs> so if you're setting up servers or doing any sort of maintenance or doing anything live, uh, make sure you have your own oh shit key and that you've tested it. That key saved me many, many times in those early days. Above all, if you're doing any sort of server maintenance or sysadmin work, just try to stay calm while doing it. Have an oh shit key, have a checklist, and you'll get through it. That's all I had for today. If you're interested in my book, Going Indie, A Complete Guide to Becoming an Independent Software Developer, you can find it on Amazon, on Apple Books, on Barnes & Noble, and using your local bookstore through IndieBound. You can find out more information on goingindie.tech. If you're interested in Huel, you can go to huelapp.com and you can sign up for the public beta. And as always, if you like the show, please consider giving it a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps a lot.